Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and mother flipping movement. Today's gorgeous conversation is with my friend, Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa is a behavioral investigator. She is the author of Captivate and her most recent book, Cues, subtitled Cues is Master the Secret Language of Charismatic communication. She's quite brilliant. She's absolutely one of the world's leading experts on all things body language, which is a pretty invaluable category of information to understand how to wield your physical spatial experience to guide you to wherever the freak it is that you'd like to arrive. That's what this conversation's about. Gets into tips, tricks, concepts, science, and all the things that uh, we typically tend to find interesting here in the Lime Podcast. I want to thank you guys for leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts where you listen to this. I'm going to read one from Much of Megan. Much of Megan says, L-O-M-L. I don't know what that means exactly. Some acronym preps la- laughing on my lawn. I don't know what LML, L-O-M-L is. Uh, the humor, the depth, the lightheartedness, the insight, the value, the spirit. I love this podcast. Aaron is awesome. Thank you so much. Much of Megan. I will look up what L-O-M-L is immediately after this. Um, appreciate you guys. Hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope your family is well. I hope your health is well. Hope you are imposing some delightful thoughts into your mindscape today. That is it. That is all. I'm done with this word salad of an introduction. Let's get to the podcast with my girl, Vanessa Van Edwards. So something that I think is interesting, people like yourself, notice a lot of things throughout the world in daily interactions Mm -hmm. and i I feel like there's likely lots of low-hanging fruit (laughs) that if people just started paying attention to these certain things or maybe Mm -hmm. in you know your language language your book certain cues yes would improve their lives vastly yeah but it's something that's missed with regularity Mm -hmm. is there anything that stands out i think that what happens is we get on autopilot our brain is doing a lot of things, right? Especially in the average workday or an average interaction, right? It's thinking about our to-do list, our emails, all the things that we want to get done. We want to come across well. We want to hear what they're saying. We want to read them. And so what happens is we, a lot of our verbal, nonverbal, and emotional communication is totally autopiloted. Our brain is trying to focus on other things. And so that's why we'll start an interaction with, as you mentioned, the BS. Mm. So our brain is quite lazy. Actually, it's not lazy. It's just doing a lot of other things. So it goes, oh, I don't want to heavy lift. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to hop on a video call and I'm going to say, so how's it going? How are you? Right? Autopilot, autopilot. Or we meet someone new and our brain is tired. It's on a lot that day. So it says, so what do you do? Where are you from? Those questions are like telling the other person's brain, just stay asleep. This conversation is going to be like every other conversation. Mm. In fact, we've been asked those questions mm. so many times that it's like we can answer them on like a social script, right? So I can tell you, what do you do? Where are you from? My brain can take completely asleep. I can actually be checking my, my email, thinking about my email in my brain while I answer that question. I think that the thing that people forget about is that it takes work to get off autopilot. We have to make a conscious decision. We're going to start an interaction with a poignant question. We're going to go into a video call or a date, or we're going to see our partner and we're not going to say, so how was your day? We're going to say, what was the highlight of your day? We're not going to say, so how's it been going? We're going to say, working on anything that's really exciting lately, right? So we just start to level up and that takes a little extra work, but it's so worth the payoff. What, what's the origination of your interest in all of this? 
I think we have maybe similar stories. I just uh, got to read your beautiful book and I'm a recovering awkward person. Mm. So social information does not come naturally to me. And so I was the kid growing up who saw, watched all the cool kids across the room. And they were like these magical species that had great scrunchies and really cool slap bracelets. You know, that sort of ages me. You can kind of get guess what, what decade I was in. And I would look at them and think, wow, I wish I could be charismatic. Because I had a fundamental belief that charisma was innate, that you had to be born with it. And I, I did not have it. And so I have a specific problem where I misinterpret neutral cues as negative. Now, I didn't realize this for unfortunately about 20 years, but what was happening was I was seeing a face or a body language cue or a vocal inflection that was neutral, but I misinterpreted it as negative. I thought, I always thought everyone was mad at me. And there was one day I was in the car with my husband, my boyfriend at the time, and I said, I, I think she's mad at me. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, oh, I, I saw the way that she, she was listening. I think she's mad. He's like, Vanessa, I think you need to get your cues right. So the originate the origination of this work is thinking about I don't really know how to read cues but maybe we could study them like a foreign language right like I at the time I was learning Spanish so I thought okay I make flashcards for Spanish I'm learning to understand that vocabulary what if I did the same thing for cues like this lip purse means this eye roll means this inflection means and so I started making flashcards, literally flashcards, creating a little catalog of cues. And the beginning, it started off as just positive and negative. There was a moment where I was watching Lance Armstrong on Larry King Live, and he was lying. Larry King asked him, have you ever doped? And Lance Armstrong says, no, I've never doped. And then he does a lip purse, and he presses his lips together into a thin line. And I remember watching the interview in 2005 and thinking, what was that? That was something. I began to research, and I found that's a universal cue called a lip purse. Lip purse is what we do when we're trying to withhold. It's like our body's way of saying, keep it together, keep it in. So we press our lips into this hard line. And that was okay. There's positive cues that the cool kids use, that charismatic people use, but also negative cues that people, when they're lying or in shame or in fear, they're also using. What if I could create a catalog of these cues? And in the beginning, that was just for me because I didn't know how to read them. Yeah. You're like a modern day Paul Ekman. Oh my goodness. Paul Ekman is one of my teachers. I love his work. Um, so Paul Ekman, for those who don't know, he discovered the microexpression. There's seven universal facial expressions. And what's amazing, and his work started in the 1970s, is he was the pioneer of the idea that maybe our communication doesn't have to be fuzzy. I think a lot of the time we have this myth that communication is t too gray to be cataloged. And yes, there's a lot about human beings that are gray, that are somewhere like a spectrum. But there's also some things that are very black and white. And so for people like me who have trouble processing social information who don't feel naturally charismatic, that's such a relief because it gives me something to do. Instead of focusing on my maybe nervousness or anxiety, I can focus on what's the cue I should use here? Yeah. What can I do? I feel like something that can happen in the realm of body language and you know the process of winning friends and influencing people and things of the sort is we can put a topical layer of learned cues on top of a, a, an inherent sensation of feeling out of place, feeling ashamed, feeling unworthy. Yes. You know, any of those pieces. Yes. And I think that something, it, there's two, it's a two-way street. One, you know, postural feedback is a concept that's, you know, that, that's out there. There's contention around it. And <laughs> a lot, like I align with a lot of the aspects of postural feedback that your postural patterns inform the way that you think and feel and you know, your personality essentially and thoughts and access to memory and things of the sort. Both of us include a lot of similar research in our book actually around that. Um, you know, so there's, there is that aspect. And then I think there's also something where it can kind of 
it can be like putting lipstick on a pig. Mm, yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, yeah, cool. I'm going to I'm gonna do these things. Yeah. But I think there's also something incredibly beautiful about just authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there's a, there's a, a, a way through into like in, inherent natural expressions of, you know, all of the cues and encoding and decoding and, you know, body language stuff yeah. through authenticity. Yes. And so I feel like there's a balance in the conversation there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. One of the things I, exactly, what, so the idea of fake it till you make it, I don't love it. Mm. I think that's where we get away from authenticity. I think one, while I was writing the book, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just telling people to pretend to be something they're not. Because mm. that's, I think, where we get away from our authenticity. I think that when we fake it till we make it, or we have introverts pretending to be extroverts to be liked, that is, I think, where we get off track. Mm. And what we have to understand is there's, there's actually a cue cycle going on that the more authentic we are with our feelings and our emotions, the more our cues can align and the more people receive us well. Yeah. So actually authenticity is creating a, a really purposeful cue cycle. I'll give you a negative example of how this works. So this study completely blew my mind. They had participants come into a room and they flashed them, someone else in the room flashed them a cue of social rejection. So a cue of social rejection could be an eye roll. It could be a negative vocal tone. So it could be, yeah, great idea. That's a dismissive, that's, that's a cue of social rejection. They found that the moment the participant spotted the cue of social rejection, their own field of vision increased. Literally their eyes dilated so they can take in more of the environment. Yep. Why? So if we spot a cue of social rejection, our body goes, uh-oh, we need to socially survive. So we widen our pupils dilate so we can see, is anyone else sending me a cue of social rejection? What's my escape route? What do I do next? What's important about that is that the cues we see change our internal state, which then change our physical state. So not only do we see a cue of social rejection that changes our pupil dilation, but it also might make us more in a readiness position, right? We might plant our feet a little bit farther. We might clench our fists in getting ready for some kind of defensive or offensive battle. When we are unaware of that, I think we get away from our authenticity. Like we'll be in a meeting and be like, why am I suddenly feeling defensive? Yeah, you're, you're authentically reactionary. Right. And out of control. Yes, yes. And we don't, <laughs> yes, and out of control. And then we go, uh, uh, I, I want to fight it. Yeah. I want to fight it, right? Like, don't, don't do that. And so we, we then, we then maybe try to like, you know, show off or we name drop. Like I always, I love talking to students and maybe listeners can think about this is what do you do when you go on the offensive or defensive? Are you a, do you show off? Do you get dramatic? Do you get quiet? Do you hide? Like, do you get big or do you get small? Right? Like it's interesting to think about what is your natural reaction? And then the next piece is how do we hear it and control it in an authentic way? So the next study that I think is the most helpful when we think about, okay, we, we see acute social rejection and it affects us. What Dr. Lieberman found at UCLA, I think that you talked a little bit about this research mm-hmm. too, is that when they flash fear at someone in a brain scanner, our own prefrontal cortex, our own amygdala begins to activate where we process fear. But the moment Dr. Lieberman had them say, that's fear, the activation went away. This is the power of cues. I think that authenticity can simply be knowing the cues you are sending to others and spotting the cues being sent to you. You don't have to change anyone. You don't have to do anything differently. But the moment you see someone across the room send you a positive or negative cue and you can say, ah, there was a mouth shrug. I heard some up talk. Oh, an authentic smile. Just that deactivates the fear part of our brain so we can say, ah, here's what I want to do next. So the act of labeling is actually where our competence, our control, and our empowerment comes from. Yeah. And there'd be, there'd be a similar 
process that would happen in various different forms of therapy as as well mm. like gestalt therapy yes. would be a great example of that you're putting you know the, the emotion or the individual into a pillow yes you know, so as opposed to you being overwhelmed by the yes. thing i am the thing mm-hmm. i am the fear i am the anxiety i am the guilt i am that it's like okay here 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 it is this is it right ah, here okay. yeah. mm-hmm. you know me. what's the color what's the texture how yes. does it sound how does it feel yes it it, it potentiates distance between you and the thing. Yes. So it's a really interesting concept to be able to, to include that even in like an uncomfortable situation conversation. And body language is that. I think I think when we talk about cues, yes, I want you to have a, a great labeling system and I want you to have a great first impression. Those are all really important things for our work and our social success. Mm-hmm. But on a much, much deeper level, when you know what cues are being sent to you, it makes it feel less personal. Yeah. It makes you feel like you can contain it. You can hold it. There's a name for it. You're not alone. Other people do this. And also you begin to see patterns, right? Like one of the best parts about having people read the book is they're saying to me, you know what? I didn't realize that when I am trying to be charismatic, I, I become giggly. I go way high in the warp. I, be, I smile and I appease everyone. I think that's a, a, that's a pattern that I have of appeasement. So even like identifying how those things are affecting us, it lo- allows us to like take a little bit of a step back and be like, do I like that response? Yeah. Do I want that response? Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of intentionally not just going into definitions of what are cues okay, and what is great. encoding and what are all the, okay. what is a, what okay. is an eyelid flex and all of that because you've, you've gone through that so many times and I don't want you to be like enslaved to that conversation. Okay. I'd love to like go <laughs> deeper behind that. Um, okay, good. But we can touch on all of that because I think mm-hmm. definitions are great, but I think people just go buy the book cues. And yes, it's all in there Actually, or well, listen to the audible book or what, what could be fun also is talking about some of the def- definitions of cues and instead of just moving on, like yeah. talking about how that affects us internally. I think that that's something that I don't get to do a lot in interviews. You know, right. I think people really want to do that. Okay. okay. So like, you just mentioned, you know why? Cause you just mentioned one cue that I feel like it doesn't get enough. I don't get to talk about it more deeply enough. You mentioned it, which is the eyelid flex, which is so funny because whenever I teach it, it's like, okay, good. We know it. We're done. Let's move on. I'm like, no. There's so much, there's yeah. so much there. Okay, so the eyelid flex is one of my favorite cues, not only because it's super weird and super specific, but because it has so, there's so much going on behind the cue. So a lower lid flex is a, a cue that's not positive or negative. It means that someone is thinking or listening very deeply. Yeah. And there's a biological reason for this. So when we're afraid, we widen our eyes. So we can take in as much as possible. We let a lot of light come in and we try to see as much as possible. When we're trying to see something closely, like if you ever try to read something across the room, like a sign, you'll squint your eyes or harden your lower lids. It's because we're trying to block the amount of light coming into our eyes so we can see more details. Mm. So if I were to say, can you see that mask across the room? I would harden my lower lids. This is a cue cycle. So what happens is our brain goes interested, curious, judgmental. It's not always positive. Sometimes it can be negative. Yeah. It means- We're like, what? Yes, exactly. And that's where it gets interesting is it's not just positive. It's also, you can also be negative. It means your brain went from, I'm listening, I'm listening to, I'm scrutinizing, mm-hmm. I'm thinking. So if you're in an interaction and you see someone, the lower lid flex, that just gave you so much information. You just activated something for them that made them go, hmm, I want to think deeply about this. It could be confusion. It could be engagement. It could be curiosity. I think that we have a choice as humans to spot those and then decide, am I going to address it? And this is super powerful in a business setting, of course. So if you're in a negotiation or an interview and you begin talking about, you know, your side passion with AI and you see a little lower lid flex from your interviewer and your negotiator, that would be a very good opportunity to be like, so do you have any interest in AI? 
and see, is it a positive interest or a negative interest? Yeah. That, that means you have to, that takes a lot of energy, right? To say, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to stop my social script and I'm going to engage in a way that is trying to be eliciting or soliciting some kind of response from you that is authentic. Is that engage you or not? It also can help you deeply in a interpersonal, in a personal relationship, in a romantic relationship, in, a, in friendships where if you're talking about something with someone and they harden or you harden your lower lids and they notice or they ignore it, that's going to tell you a lot about the person. So I think that there's these choices that we have with cues of what do we do with the information? Yeah. I think it's such an interesting thing because it, it literally is a dance. Literally in the sense when you're dancing with a person, your hands are touching or whatever. Maybe you don't cup wet and you're not actually touching each other. Yeah. You know, but you're moving in response to that person. You're connecting, yes. you're, you, you know, you're attuning to that yes. individual, which is what we're always subconsciously doing, whether we, we realize it or not. And I, I think that one thing many people have maybe in their lives never really felt, I'm borrowing this from other people, but never really felt like truly listened to. And I think learning just the process of being engaged and like, what do these cues mean? Mm -hmm. What does that shoulder shrug mean? What does that, that eye signal yeah. mean? What like, you know, oh, their feet are kind of drifting towards the door. Their hips are doing this. I noticed their tone shifted as I said uh -huh. that thing. I noticed uh -huh. they like had this like, you know, all this information just by becoming interested, like details aside, just by becoming interested, I think can start to deepen relationships in a way. Yeah. I mean, it, I, so another way, so I think that one of the things I try to fight against when I talk about, I teach body language is this is not just about being like a lie spotter, right? Yeah. Act, it's which very, is very challenging. Which is so challenging. And if you do get too obsessed with specific cues, you're probably going to get yourself in a, in a tangle. Exactly right. And so that's something that I fight against. And the way that I like to think about it is attunement is a great way to think about it is that how rare is it that you're with someone and they're listening to you with their entire body? Usually when we're listening to someone, we're listening with mostly just our ears, right? We're like distracted. We're looking around. We're at our phone. We're ignoring a lot of the, key, the input that's coming at us from vocal, from imagery or from nonverbal. We're just using our, our ears to listen to the words. Mm. What a gift it is to sit with someone and say, I like you so much. I'm not just going to listen to your words. I'm going to listen to your vocal inflections. I'm going to learn your cues. I'm going to take in your entire body. I'm going to think about your energy. That's a gift. That's a way that we're saying, I'm going to make my brain work harder. I'm going to get off autopilot, right? So we started the interview with this. I'm going to get off autopilot because I want to listen to every part of you. It's like an act of service. It's an act of it's like service. like a love, love language. I almost, in a weird way, think it touches on a couple of the love languages. Yeah. It's an act of service to say, I'm going to go off autopilot for you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen with three of my senses. Second, it's quality time because you're deepening the connection that you're having with someone as opposed to saying, so what do you do? Where are you from? And I'm listening to the answers and I'm going on to the next thing. You're deepening the connection by listening fully. And I also think in some ways it can also be physical in that you're literally talking, you're physical to physical. It's a, like you're adding a physical nature to a conversation. Yeah. When you're physically moving people. Yes. That's a, there's like the, the concept that, that we end at the end of our like, you know, epidermis or skin yeah. bag mm -mm. is that's an illusion. Oh, okay. So actually I, there's a really, this is this study uh, studies always blow my mind. So forgive me if I'm like this study blew my mind. No, this I like one blew it. My head. This one. Yeah. Just, okay. So like I'm going to try to, this is a gross, it's a little bit of a gross study. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So they wanted to know exactly that. They wanted to know like, is, is our body contained with just our, our dermis. Mm -hmm. And so what they did is they had participants come into the lab and they sold them up into two groups. One group put on a sweat catching suit where they wear, they put sweat pads yep. in their armpits and they had them run on the treadmill. So they got really sweaty, but just exercise sweat. The other group, they said, we are going to take you skydiving for the first time and we're going to have you catch your sweat. 
So this is first time skydivers who were volunteers did not know they were going to be first-time skydivers. So they take them up in a plane. They have them wear these same sweatsuits and they have them jump out of the airplane. So they get really sweaty, but with fierce sweat. They took these sweat pads and they had another group of unsuspecting participants smell these sweat pads. Mm-hmm. Now, the participants had no idea what they were smelling. They didn't even know there was sweat. They just said, and with two different things they had to smell. They put them in brain scanners and they found that when participants smelled the fear sweat, the skydiving sweat, their own fear regions of the brain activated. They didn't have any idea what they were smelling, but they smelled the fear and they caught the fear. So in an MRI, for some unknown reason, they begin to feel afraid. I share this because there's a lot of sort of junk and pseudoscience about pheromones, but I do think that we do chemically signal to others. And so it's not just, oh, I want to show up as confident and I want to have confident body language and confident vocal power. It's also that that cue cycle for yourself, the more confident you feel, the more confident chemicals, for lack of a better word, pheromones, chemicals, signals we're sending off, and we literally smell more confident, and that infects confidence. Yeah. You know what's interesting is I don't hear a lot of conversation in the body language realm around breathing. Oh, yeah. Uh, it not, not, doesn't not exist, obviously, no, but yeah, it's, more, very... it's more breathing patterns, yeah. so like, like pace of breathing. Yeah. But yeah. noticing like, like, like an example would be if you are breathing in a, a more excited fashion, mm-hmm. fight, flight, all those things, Yeah, your breath would drift more up into the upper lobes of the lungs. You start breathing with your clavicles and up with your shoulders. Yes. And <clears throat> so a simple practice that somebody could do would just be if they are feeling stressed, you know, and they want to genuinely authentically come back to a place of feeling more grounded and mm-hmm. feeling more safe, mm-hmm. bring your hands down around your lower ribs and allow your ribs to kind of drift down towards your hips and just take a few horizontal breaths into that space and you literally I mean you can change your blood pressure in a matter of six breaths so if you're suddenly in this heightened sympathetic state right you're, and you're out of control like you talk to any extreme athlete or anyone that's like paying attention to these things where it's their their level of nervous system excitement matters mm. coming back to the breath it's like it's you know it's like the the, the motherland you come back to yes. your, like, whatever the situation is that's it's like true. okay come back to the breath that's my anchor is that's that how anchor. athletes think of it People that I've talked to that do like like extreme extreme sport, like skydivers and things of the sort. Because wow. if you're in that scenario, rock climbers, if you're in that scenario, you'll you just naturally your reptilian brain will come on. <laughs> so yeah. that's so that's the high end of the spectrum. Right. Most people's greatest fear is public speaking. So that, it's a similar scenario. Yes. It's it's I find it interesting because, and this is accidentally on purpose, right? That when we when I talk about vocal power. I think voice and vocal power is one of the most underrated aspects of our confidence and our impressions. I think mm. we talk about words, what we're going to say, then we often hear about posture, sometimes we hear about gestures, we hear about eye contact, we hear about smiling. Those things are all wonderful. But actually, how you say something is just important as what you say. Moravian called it, I said 38% was tonality. I'll yes, yes. So I... Which, who, you know, who knows, but that's his he, suggestion. His, his science is a little interesting because he actually did it with one word, that study. So uh, he was actually testing it with one word. So, of course, that study would have it be 7% of it as verbal because it was one word. Mm, so, actually, that study is, take it with a grain of salt, that study. I like the idea that, yes, a lot of it's nonverbal and vocal. But if someone's just saying, hello, yeah, of course, the verbal is going to matter less. However, mm. I will say that a lot of the times, the first few words we say don't really matter from a verbal perspective. Like we tend to at the very beginning of a call when we see someone, hey, good to see you. Now, those words are not holding deep meaning. So the way that I say, hey, good to see you, is signaling all kinds of things to you. 
And the way that they studied this is they looked at doctors and doctors are assumed to be very smart. They've gone through lots of school and they pick doctors for a reason, knowing that they're going to be smart. They made it through medical school and they had them record 10 second voice tone clips. So, hi, my name is Dr. Edwards. I specialize in oncology. I work at Children's Presbyterian Hospital, something like that. And they warbled the words. So they took out the verbal content, but left in the vocal content. So like that, right? So you could hear everything that, except the actual words being said. Then they had people rate these clips on warmth and competence to things that are essential for a charisma. And they found that the doctors who had the lowest warmth and competence ratings had the highest rate of malpractice lawsuits. Meaning we don't judge doctors based just on their skills. We judge doctors based on our perception of their skills. And that happens within the first few seconds of hearing them. And a lot of that has to do with breath. Coming back to it. In other words, we know as humans that when we are anxious or tense, we have a lot less movement. We pin our set to, uh, arms to our sides. We clench our jaw. We tuck our chin in. We get really tight and small, and that makes our voice much harder to get volume. And then we might even go higher into our vocal range. So when people are really nervous, they end up talking a lot like this in their head, and it's really tight. And you also hear vocal fry. That's how we get vocal fry is when we're really anxious. We talk like this, and it's really hard to get back to it. Like the Cali girl. Yes. Yeah. The only way to get back into our lower maximum resonance point is breath. So yes, we can expand our body. That's a little bit of the equation, but actually more of it is when you speak on the out breath, it forces your vocal cords to relax. So it's interesting that breath is also the way that athletes can calm their nervous system mm. because breath is also the only way that we can use our maximum resonance point. Mm. So if you are speaking on a video call on a date and you hear yourself go a little higher in your range, or you hear yourself getting into vocal fry where you're talking like this because it's really just hard to get that energy out. Mm. The best thing you can do is speak on the out breath. And this is a critical mistake people make is they hold their breath and they talk on the top of their breath. This is what happens with, with vocal first impressions. People go, hello, all the way up here. And that's what most of us do when we answer the phone. We take a big, deep breath. <sighs> hello. And then we sound like this and people go, wow, she sounds a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous. I don't know if I want to listen to her. Versus, so here's on the top of my breath versus me on my out breath. Okay, listen to the difference. Hello. That actually makes me feel nervous, by the way. When or I do that, I feel a little bit more anxious. The inhalation accentuates the sympathetic nervousness. Yes. And it, again, that, that authenticity, that's how we get it. It's like that, that creates this weird cycle. Yeah. Versus the out breath. So hello up here versus hello. So, so they both sound like me, but they sound completely different. Yeah. And so if you answer your phone or your voicemail or the first few seconds of your video or the first few seconds of your presentation or the first time you hop on with someone after you know chatting with them on, on a dating app, that hello is going to tell them everything they need to know about your nervous system, yep. what you've just been thinking, <laughs> what you've been doing. And so I think that vocal, those vocal cues and breath is a massively important part. But the first hello to me, what I read in that is a... And this is my projection, not necessarily. So that's important oh, to always step into yeah. analyzation. Like uh -huh. this may be my projection. This uh -huh. might not be like their authentic experience. 100%. But my projection in that would be a sensation of like a people pleasing. Totally. And waited on baiting breath for the listener's approval. Yes. You mentioned something in your book actually about the forward head. Yeah. And this is something I've thought about a lot because I think that I have a forward head in my posture. So I, I tend to like my head goes forward when I'm at rest, when I'm sit seating, when I'm standing. And I think it speaks to something in my personality, something in my psychology, yeah. which is that I am so scared about missing out. Mm. I so want to be 
in the know. Mm-hmm. I so want to predict behavior. I so want to appease and please that it has literally changed my posture mm-hmm. and my head position. It's so beautiful. It's such <sighs> Thank a sweet thing. I didn't expect thing. you to say that. <laughs> Humans are so sweet. I didn't expect you to say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so lovely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I think that, but yeah. I, really? I want to think that. I, I haven't liked Where it. Where do you think it comes from? I think it's something, it's a part of me that I want to change. Mm. And so why? it's, it's why, what, I, what, why, what, what, what is there like a, not that I'm, I, I'll do my best to not go into like some psychoanalyzation. No, it's very interesting. I, because I, I, I it's, it's just, I was so shocked when you just said that, that, what did you say? It was so nice, beautiful. So beautiful. <gasps> <laughs> I was like, I thought you were going to say, I'm so sorry. That's what I thought you were going to say. That's shocking that I was so shocked by it, mm. which just shows you that's my own projection of like, that's something that's, that's bad mm-hmm. it's wrong with me that mm. like i didn't even occur to me there was another way to think about it which is that it's beautiful that's why i was like it like broke my like pa- thought pattern for a second <laughs> <laughs> like it totally did i was like what i don't know what my face looked like but it, like that's what yeah weird. yeah i think people are so sweet okay and, and so so a person that's in that 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 position so two things one i think that the the fact that it's so hard for people to lie Mm. It's so beautiful. Mm, it's true. so sweet. Agreed. When someone's telling a lie, they like, oh, like, oh, yeah. I don't like it. I don't like, <laughs> like, it. I don't like it. Yeah. Didn't yeah. eat any cookies. You're looking away. You're pursing your lips. You're like doing all the things. Yeah. Your body's like, no. It's like it's so sweet. That's true. That's true. Like people are just so sweet. And then for the person that's in that, you know, forward leaning, maybe people pleasing, maybe you know, any whatever that whatever the situation sure. is, it's coming from like a, a deeper level of that girl or boy that just wants to be loved that's it it's it's like it's I, like so beautiful I, yeah i know i like it i like it i'm gonna start to reframe it i like it and wants to love yes like i'm just in it and whenever i see pictures or videos of myself from the side it's so weird you know in my job i, I was just talking to someone else about how i think we see way too many images of ourselves like we're not supposed weird. to as brand humans. new never it's before brand new like Maybe we looked in a lake, you know, for so many, you know, many, 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 many millennia. But now we can see ourselves all the time. And I have this weird job where it's part of my job to watch myself on camera. I see myself on camera and seeing myself from the side whenever I have videographers or photographers take pictures from the side. And I notice I'm, I always think to myself, oh, I'm, I'm like a puppy dog. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. tell me, show me. Yeah. Do you like me? It's all those, and so it's good to reframe it as maybe that's sweet. Can I add? It's interesting. I noticed your eyes are watering a little bit. Yeah. Well, I I was maybe surprised. Maybe just something in your eye. I, no, no, nothing was in my eyes. So maybe that's just a response of like. So beautiful. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I don't even like it. I have a disguise. I don't even like it. That's I kind of like it. I kind of like it. What's, yeah. Where where can I ask more about it? Where, sure. Like, where, where, yeah. Where, where do you notice sensation? I think first it felt like a, a my thought broke did feel like that for a second like it was like like it like totally broke my thought and then <laughs> i think it made me just really aware of like where my head is right now mm. you, you know what i mean like it made me think like what, am i doing it right now mm. should i do it right now no let, let, be authentic do whatever you want like mm-hmm. it was like i got like very um yeah like in my whole positioning mm-hmm. yeah. do you feel like there's a, a part of you that still feels that way and 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 do you think that there was some is there some way to like communicate to that girl mm. is do you, do you have any relationship to her yeah i i love you know i like inner child work i've done psychoanalysis not for many many years we're not going to do it we're not going to do it but i'm just curious it's interesting it's definitely thing. important i think 
So kind of a weird story about my last book, which I know we're not talking about today, but it's kind of interesting to think about is I put a picture of my third grade self in the first page of my last book because I think that that's who I think of a lot. Mm. That, that head position is like, that happened in that time period for me yeah. where I was trying really, really hard to just be liked, be accepted, you know, be in the know because I always felt like I didn't know. And when I came out as not trying to hide that, by saying I'm a recovering awkward person, I struggle with this. Not pretending I'm an expert that knows everything, but actually I'm an expert who's trying to figure things out. That was like great freedom. Like it was like so much relief. And I was at a party a couple of weeks ago here in Austin and it was like a muckety muck party. Do you know what? I'm, no idea. Like a VIP party. It was like, Ooh. it was like, you know, I was like, it was one of those invitations. <laughs> My forward head posture FOMO uh-huh, is coming out. Uh-huh. Like, tell me more. I won't even name drop. I won't even name drop, but there are people that you would know. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was, it was like, because it was very muckety muck, and I was like, a VIP party, and I got on the list, and I was like, why am I on this list? So, first, like, immediate imposter syndrome. Like, I was like, I like almost wrote back, I was like, did you mean to CC another Vanessa? Yeah. So, I'm like, I guess I should go. Like, there's like cool people coming to this thing. So I'm super nervous mm. and I show up and it's at like the dome house in Austin, which is mm. like a pretty well-known huge mansion mm-hmm. on the lake here. Mm-hmm. So I pull up and I'm like, oh my. it's like, I get there. I mean, I'm in the forward head position. Like the whole, like I'm like super forward head, right? Super like, am I going to be like, is it going to be okay? We walk in and the first thing we have, and it's in this like giant mansion. The first thing they have us do, it feels like eyes wide shut. Like first of all, I'm like ready. I'm like, what's going to happen? Like, are they going to hand out masks? Like what's happening? It, we get in a big circle. And they have everyone go around and share their introduction, which is a very nerve wracking experience if you've ever been in a room with important people where you don't feel so, so important. Mm. And so I'm like forward head position, like that mentality. And we're going around the circle and it's like the first person's like, I'm a billionaire. Second person's like, I'm solving world peace. The next person's like, I am curing cancer with AI. Like it was like insane, right? Like it's like slowly getting to me and I'm like, and I decide in that moment to just be the little girl. Mm. I was like, I, I, I don't even want to try, I, not even compete. I wasn't even like the feel of it. I just like, I was like, I'm just like, right now, I feel like that third grade person. So I said, hi, I'm Vanessa. I'm a recovering awkward person. And everyone laughed. It like broke a ton of tension. And I said, I write books and YouTube videos to help people who are awkward. If you're awkward tonight, feel free to come over and talk to me. I have a bunch of conversation starters in my purse. That's great. That was it. And I felt such relief. Like, I felt like me. And what was incredible is, as soon as the circle sort of disbanded for the next event, like six people came over and they're like, I'm a recovering awkward person too. Can we talk about your conversation starters? And it was like, I found my people. And so I think like, there's a part of this for me in the next few years, which is like coming out with exactly how I feel talking about some things I do and don't like, and then hopefully finding my people. So for people listening, maybe that's something for you too. Yeah. It's, it's so where my mind is going and we'll come off of it very soon. Uh, but where my mind is going is I, I wonder what it would be like. And it seems like you're already there at least in, in, in moments, but what would it be like to love that part of yourself entirely? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Let's just play with it. See. <laughs> Well, this actually is a hard question, which is, what if you were authentically yourself all the time, Mm. right? Like, what if you loved that part of yourself? And that also means like a lot of the book, and I struggled with this while I was writing the book, which is I talk about being warm and competent, being trustworthy and likable and friendly, open, collaborative, but also capable, smart, competent, powerful, efficient, productive. 
And that's, you're always weighing that balance that human beings, those are the two traits that are most important for our success. The problem is, is there are times when you neither want to be warm nor competent. And that was something I really struggled with writing the book because we have, yes, I want you to be your warmest, most competent self as much as possible, but sometimes you're not. Like sometimes you're having a bad day or you don't like someone or you don't feel actually warm towards them or you're in a topic area that you don't feel competent about. Like even now, like I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I'm like, I want to go there (laughs) and that's okay. And it might mean I'm not showing competence cues. And so I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I think that's a part that I wasn't able to talk about in the book, which is I call that the danger zone when you don't show enough warmth or competence. Mm. But like maybe there's something to be said for that zone, Mm. right? Like maybe it's okay to be like, I'm not going to show the best cues right now. I'm going to sound nervous because I'm actually nervous. And that actually is more relatable. Yeah. So I think that it makes other people feel safe. It makes other. Yes, I think. I also think that vulnerability is an aspect of warmth. It's, It's just tools. It's great to have tools. It's great to have resources. It's great to have anchors. There you go. And hopefully you feel safe enough. I think ultimately it just comes back to safety. Safety. Yeah. I think think the only way that I could ever like love that part of me and show up as that part of me more often, because I don't think I do it as often as I would like, Mm -hmm. to be honest, would be that I'd have to be in more spaces where I feel safe. Yeah. And that's a business choice. You know, I think that's like, when am I, when I, when do I not feel safe? Who are the people I don't feel safe around? And unfortunately... I'm in a position with my career where I have to be on a lot. Yeah. Right. On stage or podcasts. Actually, I like podcasts feel really natural to me. So I love them. Mm-hmm. But maybe on my YouTube channel, you know, if I have to like get it, I have to pump out those videos. Yeah. Then maybe not. I want to take a moment and discuss something that is immensely impactful to our health and it is invisible. That is the chemicals that exist within household products. These chemicals are referred to as endocrine disruptors. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that are just about everywhere, which means our bodies are exposed to them nearly all the time. Endocrine disrupting chemicals, EDCs, are environmental toxins that mimic your natural hormones, but without the benefits. EDCs can affect the ovaries, adrenals, thyroid, and other glands, causing your hormones to go completely out of whack with a myriad of unpleasant symptoms to follow. I personally have replaced all of the household products underneath my kitchen sink and in my bathroom with Branch Basics, and I'm excited to share it with you guys. So it's pretty cool. You get one bottle of concentrate, and from that, you can fill up all your other bottles, whether it's window cleaner or all-purpose cleaner for tables and kitchen surfaces or bathrooms, Uh, also laundry detergent, really incredible stuff. It is free of all the things that you don't want, such as fragrances and harmful preservatives. It's totally biodegradable. It's also not tested on animals. So I am so stoked to share this with you guys. I think it is an absolute game changer for the health of ourselves, of our families, and also the environment. You can find a 15% off on all their starter kits. You can get started yourself by going to links.branchbasics.com slash align podcast. That's links.branchbasics.com slash align podcast, L I. N-K-S period B-R-A-N-C-H-B-A-S-I-C-S dot com slash align podcast. Get yourself 15% off. I would highly recommend replacing the harmful chemicals that we are just lurking in the household products. So replace that stuff, get yourself on Branch Basics, and I think it's going to make a difference. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like right now we're kind of in like real time going through some kind of exploration of observing each other. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting thing to be aware of of 
when are you prying too much? Which I know that I was on the edge, mm. but I don't think I crossed no. it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's an interesting thing. Because mm. if you're always listening too deeply, yeah. it can be like, whoa, bro. Yeah. A little, yeah. little much. Yeah. Like, not an active service anymore. But, but, like, but, like, <laughs> but I don't know, like, wouldn't you rather live on the line? You it's, know what I mean? It's, 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 and that's, you know, it's, it, it, that's, that's, you know, that's the same thing as being a hermetic stressor. Like, working out, you need to be on the hermetic edge. Hermetic stressor? Your, what does that mean? Hermetic stressor would be a stress, like, like working out is a hermetic stress. Okay, okay. Unless you go overboard and you, you know, get like rhabdo and, or you, you know, you, you break yourself. Okay. Snap a ligament or something like that. It's like, okay, like too much stress. Okay, bro. right, right. Like, went yes. too far. Too much vulnerability. <laughs> too much action service. Got it. Yeah. I got it. But a little, another term for this would be, would be the, the zone of proximal development. Another Whoa. fancy term for Whoa. just being at that kind of, that, that border. Mm-hmm. And that creates this, I don't know, maybe you call it like dynamic tension or something in a relationship, but it makes a, a relationship feel like there's like zest or there's like texture totally. to it. Alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, so I was um, talking to a, spy mm. <laughs> a, a, a current agent mm. i won't specify any more than that oh i'm not allowed mm. no i'm just joking. um kind of not really and he said that one of the things that they are trained to do is know when they cross the line mm. with conversation with questions casually by the way not like in an interrogation setting like they're they're in situations where they're trying to elicit information secretly so what one thing they do as a strategy is they have casual conversations about normal everyday life and they purposefully blow through the boundaries. Yep. So they literally will ask a question that is absolutely too close to home or, or too much. They blow through it because there's something that happens psychologically for yep. someone. They feel alive. They feel that little zest. And then they are more likely to answer questions about confidentiality issues for the government. But hopefully you competently do so. If you're willing to be like a, like a boundary blower, yeah. hopefully you have tact. Yes, a boundary blower is the way to think about it, but you have to go in with purpose, yeah. tact, purpose, and competence, and also like being willing to catch people if they fall, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to blow through a boundary, right, you have to be, and I felt very safe that if I were to have fallen, right, if I were to have like said I have to pause or like uh, I can't yeah. answer that question, yeah, yeah, yeah. you would have been like able to roll with it, make me feel safe again, and then like pivot. Mm. So you cannot be a boundary blower if you're not also going to be a safe net for someone to make them feel like they're they're all good. There's actually a conversational tip I'll give a practical tip on this is we I'm trying to think how deep I want to go in the science on this. Deep science? You the boss. Okay. I'm with you. We're here for deep science okay. for sure. So researcher Dan McAdams researched intimacy and wanted to know how we connect with people. And he basically outlined three levels of intimacy. And he says these describe all of our interactions. And I agree with him after many years of thinking about this work. The first level is called general traits, occupation what you do, your hobbies. That's why our conversations tend to start with, what do you do? Where are you from? What are you doing this weekend? Because that's level one. Then we have to move to level two, which is personal concerns, motivations, worries, values. So when we're getting to know someone, we really feel like, oh, I, I kind of like this person. We're starting to talk about motivations and values. So you know, what's keeping you up at night? What's getting you worried? What are you excited about? What's driving you? What's your biggest goal? Those kind of questions make us feel closer to someone. The last level is our self-narratives the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and that we barely get to with most people in our lives. So I think that there's a a question that's asked a lot, which is tell me your story or what's your story. I hear that question used a lot in like casual conversation. What people don't realize is that's a boundary blowing question. The reason for that is because you're basically saying to someone, sure, I want to know what you do, but I want to know what drives you. And that you'll notice that when extroverts accidentally ask that of introverts, they go, huh? They like they get fear eyes 
they go up in there. Oh, oh my, my story. I don't know. Like they, yeah. like they, they, they back up. It's because that's tapping in that very seemingly innocuous question is like tapping into something very deep. And so I would say, if you want to be a boundary blower and you think you can be safe, you can ask questions like that. Mm. You have to be ready. That might make someone uncomfortable. So if you ask someone, what's your story? And you see fear eyes, distancing, higher vocal power, even blocking, like people will, will like cross their arms. Um, gosh, I the lip purse or like shrug their shoulders to get smaller. You have a choice there. If you really want to catch them and you want to be a, a safe person who blows through boundaries, you can say, oh, no worries if that's too personal of a question. I just wanted to know, you know, uh, what, what's exciting you right now? So you have a backup question that allows them to like slowly back up or you yourself answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, there's a couple things that come to mind as you're, as you're saying. The one thing is, as you're on the, the projecting the, the question side, <laughs> you're the, you're the question asker side there. I think there's some of the cues to soften yourself, I think are invaluable. Mm. And so it's not just the questions that a person's asking. It's also saying, okay, cool. I'm tracking your eyes. I'm tracking yes. your, your, your postural patterns, all the things. How do I get smaller and less intimidating? Especially me being like a six, five. Oh, interesting. Big dude. So you would get smaller. Oh yeah. Oh wow. So like, it's I'm, like petting a puppy. Oh, interesting. Not to relate other people like puppies, but like if a, if yeah. a puppy comes running in the door, yeah. I'm not going to like, I love you. I'll get down to the level yes. of, of the animal. Yes. You know, and I'll, and I'll get, and I'll, I might change the pitch of my voice or the voice prosody is right. like Stephen Porter's right. refers to it as, yes. you know, I might go up, oh my God, hi, yeah. not very powerful, no, but full warmth. Well, I'm, and I'm not suggesting that or full, I don't know, softness at least. I actually would say that's just low power, right? Mm. So like warmth and power are two different variables we have mm. to think about. So mm. it's interesting that you, you approach it from a different way that I would approach it, which is great because it shows we, you know that you're taller and bigger. I'm smaller and more female than you. True. Right? I'm, I'm <laughs> objectively a little more, true. I'm objectively true. So, Except maybe not by two, 2023. Okay. Oh, yeah, no. We'll okay, see got how it, the times are going. We'll see. We'll see what happens in a few years. Okay. We'll redo it again when we've switched, when we've switched yeah. genders. Yeah. We'll, we'll bleep that part out. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's interesting that you went at it from a power perspective. So uh, what you said is if I want to approach someone with a hard question, I'm going to get small. Not necessarily. Okay, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing shutdown. Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm saying, whoa, too far. Like, how can I become, oh, I was a little too much yes. tidal wave. Yes. Yes. What are my options to kind of turn into a little bit more like tight, just tight? Okay. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give people two <laughs> options for this. So yeah. one option is less power, less force, yeah. right? If it's a wave, it's less force. So you get smaller, you go a little higher. Oh, no worries. No yeah. worries. Right. So you go higher in your vocal power. You get a little bit smaller, maybe even back up or add distance. Right. Those are all power issues. Those are all force issues. The other way to go about it is you dial up warmth. Mm. So if you dial up warmth, you can actually out-level the power. So dialing up warmth would look like nodding, head tilting, smiling, touch. Mm. So you can also consider adding those ones. So for example, it, that's what I would do actually. If I was, and this happens to me all the time. I'm, I'm a question asker, right? Like I cannot help. I'm, I, I, I don't like level one. General traits, like I just, I get itchy. Like I, I just, like, let's stop talking about like the, the BS stuff. And yeah. so I always dip into level two quite fast. And sometimes introverts or other recovering awkward people, my, my fellow, my fellow friends are like, whoa, what I do is I dial up warmth. So typically I will head tilt. I smile a little bit more. I usually reach out. Oh, you know, I'm, and I, I usually will 
put up my hands in an open palm gesture. Open palm means I'm not threatening. Right. So literally, that's a universal cue of I am not trying to threaten you. I'm literally just trying to be open. So I'll be like, oh, my goodness. I'm sorry if that was a little bit too much too fast. I can tell you my story if you like. And then I share vulnerability, which is also dialing up warmth. So there's two ways to approach it. I don't think either are right or wrong. I, I think I disagree with myself. In the, I, I oh. think in, in the actual scenario, I don't know that uh, the semantics of what I'm suggesting is exactly what I would do. It's more just, just drawing back. I'm drawing noticing back. I'm going a little too intense. Yes. What are my options on the table to kind of say like, okay, a little too much too fast. And in, in, again, going back to like therapy terms. Yeah. I'm not a therapist, obviously. But another term for this would be pendulation. Mm, yeah. So pendulation, you're like, cool, we're going all the way in. Whoa. <laughs> and like, okay, we're seeing some stuff come up. And like, okay, how's the weather outside? Yeah. Like, yes. oh man, like that puppy is so cute. Look at that little puppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, just like, cool. There's no, there's no, there's totally. no money on the table. This is just, we're just hanging out. And you palm, right. Palms and like, up. Palms yeah. Up. Just, <laughs> you're like, palms up, dude. Like, I'm not trying to like, you know, pickpocket you. And then it's kind it's interesting. It's kind of like respiration or a heartbeat or yin yang or, you know, yeah. any of that stuff. It's yeah. kind of like, here we are. And then we're back. Oh, like, comedic relief. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. then like, you're you know, pretty good? We're good? So right. I mean, here we go. <laughs> Like this, this concept, it works. Like it totally works because it's very natural, right? Like yeah. we, um, that, I, I think of like a heartbeat, you mentioned heartbeat. Like that's like kind of what really good presenters do mm. a little bit. Like yeah. a really, really good Ted talk. We spent the better part of 2013 analyzing Ted talks. We did like thousands of hours of Ted talk analysis in our lab, looking for patterns, wanting to know why do some Ted talks go viral and others don't. And one thing that we found is there was this, what really good TED talkers they do is they're just like that. They'll like lean in real hard and they'll say a really interesting fact and they have a light joke. Yeah. This throwaway joke. And then they like, hit oh, you with something big. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, phew. <laughs> yeah. We're good. Yeah. We're good. And so I think. It's like digestion. Yeah. If I'm all, if we're always feeding. It's like, no, I need to like chill. Yes. You don't want to just eat all day long. Yes. And like that's normal in a relationship too, right? Like I think that like too much intensity is actually, it's like too much. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a break you can give yourself as well. Is like if you want to be a boundary pusher, if you like living in level two, right? If you know like that level, have back pocket level one things that you can bounce back to, yeah. right? Like maybe not the weather, you know, yeah. but maybe like something else that feels a little bit more safe. You could you joke about talking about the weather. A hundred percent. Yes, that's a good one. You could literally say, is it time to talk about the weather now? Yeah, right. I'm feeling we need yeah. to talk about something very simple, right. like the weather. Mm-hmm. I like your shoes, right? Yeah. Like I'm not even wearing shoes. And I think, and we have to wrap, we have to wrap up sadly, because I, yes. I, I feel like we could continue on this yeah. for, for quite a while. But I think there is something to respecting small talk as having <sighs> it as a tool on the table. That's it. Because the analogy that's coming up in my mind, which I don't think is really a perfect analogy, but it's kind of like docking a boat in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of like this. I don't know if that's a perfect analogy, really, but it's like docking two people. Yeah. You know, so it's not necessarily like we're going hard and fast. We're riding the boat <laughs> full throttle. Here we go. Yes. It's like first you like kind of delicately you get on the boat. Yes. You kind of reach out. Oh, it's a stable. Okay. Oh, here we go. And so it's it's. I think there's value in having a little breathing room, and yes. it's like okay, we're attuning to each other, we're That's checking it. facial patterns. Maybe we're almost our breathing cycles start to yes. become comparable in a way. Like we're kind of becoming, we're like we're, we're we're docking, right? And we don't necessarily before we're docked, it's Can't. almost disrespectful. We're like, tell me about your mother. Right. <laughs> What's your greatest fear? Yeah. What's your greatest fear? <laughs> you know, like your boats are not docked yet. Yeah, not right? docked. Yeah, it's. I like how you like. You know what I mean? Like, what keeps you up at night? Yeah. Um, are you afraid of being alone? Yeah. So yes, I think that small talk is a tool. I love it. That's a kind of a way to think about it. And I think that also we have to, and research has proved this. 
spend the first few minutes of an engage of an interaction dial like attuning warmth specifically like can mm-hmm. i trust you can i trust you before we even go there mm-hmm. and so i think that asking those like safe but still non-autopilot questions like what's the highlight of your day what's good anything exciting recently those are all like safe we're not going too deep we're just like attuning we're like aligning we're uh, we're figuring out like what's okay okay you make eye contact cool i'm gonna make eye contact too are we gonna right. hug are we gonna handshake those are actually like, really important as tools you right. what's your duration of eye contact Yours is a lot. In this conversation, I am. Depends on the person. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because I, so the, the, in North American, sorry, in Western cultures, 60 to 70% eye contact is ideal. Mm. It actually studied it. So that gave me a lot of, that was great for me to hear because I was like, oh, 60 to 70% means I can look away and like process. I can think about things. And so it's actually not 100% in Western cultures, at least. That 60 to 70% is a sweet spot. So how has my contact been in this conversation? Has it been like, whoa, this is pretty intense? It's, it's, you're always there for me when I need it in the sense of it's, you're probably making 80 to 90% eye contact because I think that you want to be a landing pad for me as I'm processing, mm. which is extremely helpful, right? Because you're asking me the questions, right? So it's helpful as an interviewer that you're like, I'm here to listen right. to you. You can go ahead and process and I'm still here. Yeah, if, if you were interviewing me, my eyes would go all over the place. Uh, and I would and I'm try. going into like creative thought. I'm going into informational thought. Yes. I'm looking up to the right corner, looking down. It's yes, like I'm tracking all these different parts. And then I'll come back. Right. And my <laughs> like, job. Here we are. Yeah, and then we can anchor. <laughs> are you still with me? Yes. I'm here. I'm still here. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm still yeah. here. So like, that's like really good. At, you'll, that, as an interviewer, that's exceptional because it allows me to do it. If we were switching, right. I would have to be 80, 90% and I would want to be. That's very interesting. Because I'm watching you access and that's, that's great. And in normal conversation, normal conversation isn't an interview. So then it's more of a dance. Exactly. And then we're both looking away. And you might be interviewing for four minutes. Uh, yes. And then suddenly, like, oh, I'm kind of being interviewed for two minutes. And that's when someone you know? can feel like they're being invasive. <laughs> Have you ever been like that? Where yeah. like you're in a conversation, you're like, whoa. Right. It's because there's too much eye contact happening. Because mm. you flipped into the interviewer mode. And I right. can do that by accident, by the way. As a head forward person, yeah. I tend to be like, tell me everything. Yeah. And I have to be like, whoa. Like make a little less eye contact. Yeah. Give them some breathing space. So yeah, that's why that can happen in the middle of a conversation. Yeah. At the end of the conversation, I ask a specific question for the Align community yes. exclusively. Yes. So people can go and check that out. It's at alignpodcast.com slash community. And question I have is, I don't actually have a question ready oh. to go for this. So I wonder just, are there any standout points that we didn't discuss that would be great to close on? Like, I think we went at a lot of, we kind of, spoke more like high level we did yeah 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 in this conversation which which i really enjoy but are there any like specific cues Mm -hmm. if a person does want to say be more persuasive in conversation hope you guys have dug that conversation if you would like to hear vanessa's response you can visit the align community which can be found at alignpodcast.com slash community it is absolutely free and it's filled with a ton of valuable exclusive content so jump over to alignpodcast.com slash community to hear vanessa's response and much more i really love your book oh you, thank I, you um, you texted me right away when you were reading it which just made my day yeah mm. where do people get it i would <gasps> highly highly recommend I, in this conversation per mention i listened to several of your in- interviews before this and, yeah. and read the book and i purposely didn't want to just go into specific definitions of cues and such but i would highly recommend people going in that because it's so invaluable to do so 
And also it is like a glossary, right? We got to do the yeah. high level, which is a great way to start. Um, there are 96 cues in the book. I think each one of them is empowering. Every cue you learn is going to give you a tool for your toolbox. That's how I think of it. Yeah. And I read the audiobook if you like my vocal power. Yeah. So you're welcome to check that out or it's available wherever books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, all those. Cool. And then you have a thriving YouTube channel. Yes. Yes, which uh, Aaron's going to be on my YouTube channel Oh, man. Soon. Here we go. Um, so YouTube, I do cues breakdowns. So I analyze The Rock's cues, which was really just an excuse for me to watch eight hours of The Rock. Yep. Break down Justin Bieber's cues, Britney Spears' cues. So if you're a more of an applicator mind, if you like to see the cues in action, I have those up there for free. You can just check them out. Cool. Social media. Uh, YouTube, Instagram. Instagram. All the things. All the things. Tweets, I'll mention, I'll mention tweets the or Facebook. I'm not on TikTok. I know. I know. I know. Send me emails about how I should do it, but I'm everywhere else. I'm there. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for writing the book, Hughes. I really enjoyed it. And uh, if people have read The Align Method, I think Hughes oh, yes. is an amazing addendum or addition to. Oh, it goes deeply so well. into all the things that I would have liked to have talked about if Align Method exclusively focused on body language. Yes. So it's like literally like they, Align they match Method so 2.0. so well. Yeah. Yes, they match so well. Actually, we use studies. You use studies I didn't get to <laughs> use, so it was like yeah. perfect. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wait, can I do this like, at the Oh, end? hit that bell. Can this I do is, the sign? Yeah, you're the first guest to hit the bell. Are you ready? Oh, and here we go. Thank you. <sighs> Namaste. All right, thank you for tuning in. That's it. That's all over now. If you're interested in gathering up the insights from the last question with Vanessa, you can find it over at alignpodcast.com slash community. We have over a thousand members in there. It is absolutely free. We are sharing exclusive content that only gets posted to there. Examples of that would include shared my experience at the last ayahuasca retreat that I just got back from a couple few weeks ago. And so shared the insights that I gathered from that. It was in Costa Rica. It was with a really amazing group of people. And uh, that being example of stuff that I share just there, posted up on YouTube or Instagram or anywhere like that. And it's just an amazing, thriving community of interested people asking insightful questions and presenting insightful information. All that is over at alignpodcast.com slash community. That is it. That is all. Thank you for tuning in. I will see you next week.